Welcome to Coming Out of the Kitchen, a podcast for women, because as of today, women still do not have equal rights in the United States Constitution. Before I get started with my interview with Deborah Walden Davis, let me tell you about Anchor. Anchor is the platform I use to create my podcasts. It's totally free to use. You just go to anchorfm.com and download the app to your smartphone or computer. It's free. And did I mention you can earn money when you use Anchor? Anchor has many different options to help you create your podcast. And once you're done creating your podcast, you can edit it, add some bling, and upload your podcast to seven different podcast listening sites in addition to your smartphone sites. So what are you waiting for? Go to anchorfm.com, download your app, and get started today. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. So, Deborah, Hi. It's time to talk about your books. My favorite subject. The last time we talked about you. So I'm just going to ask you some basic questions, and then, if it's okay, we'll just highlight on some of your books. Does that sound like a good sounds, deal? Sounds good. What's the difference between being a writer and an author? Well, if you write, you're authoring something. But a lot of times when people think of the word author, they do think of having written a book. I, I always knew I was a writer. But when that first book was published, I then could call myself an author. But that's just by how I felt about me. If you write poems, you're an author of those poems. You know, if you, if you write a letter to the editor, you still authored that letter. But if you just journal or something, maybe that's what a writer is? Because I've always written, mm-hmm. but when I felt, when I called myself an author, was when I had that first book Published. in my hand. Have you received any negative book reviews? You know, the thing is, mostly what I get is really good. Um, I got a review on Goodreads that talked about how fantastically written it was and researched and this and this, but didn't like the ending. But they didn't tell me why they didn't like the ending. All I could think of was it was a happy ending. <laughs> Uh, you know, some people don't like it. I don't on know. which book or on all books? That was on um, Almost Home. Oh, the first book. The other one, oh, well, maybe in Almost Home too. I left something, um, there was, a, not all questions were answered. Okay? You, well, got, it, just... you got it partially answered. You got the, 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 a question partially answered. But then again, only partially answering that question leaves it that you can write a sequel to it. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So I don't know if that was the reason or not, because you only got a partial answer. But it was, yeah, I left it open for a very good sequel. Mostly, what uh, the only other uh, complaint is I have a lot of characters. And I know I do. Well, when I read your books, I know I said, I almost need a whiteboard to keep up with all these characters. Yeah. But I did not mean that as a negative thing. If you are a police officer... Or mm-hmm. a private detective, mm-hmm. and you've got people to investigate, and you learn a name from them, that's a character. That's a character. Somebody said, you know, well, you could um, have a, you know, a flow chart, okay? But so you got to be careful with that, because you're going to end up giving away some of the mm-hmm. uh, book. Um, so I've thought about that, and I've thought about, you know, not giving them names. Maybe just, I, I keep a list of my characters, mm-hmm. and I refer back to them. In your daily life, as you go around... Aren't you meeting people all the time? I'm a teacher. If it's going to be a guy who knew this guy back in the Army, well, we're going to have a name because we're going to use that name again. Mm-hmm. So it might be 
somebody that doesn't that isn't in there very much, but we we do and meet people all the time. Maybe so. maybe that's what I thought was so enjoyable because, like I told you, the last the first book I took my time reading it, but the last three I just couldn't put them down. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I was up at four o'clock in the morning picking up your book, and <laughs> it's good to hear. And you know, reading it till I fell asleep. You know, I just had to. Which is not good because... Yeah, it is. Well, it is. I mean, it's not good if you're going to interview the author. <laughs> because I didn't stop and think, well, I should ask her about this. I started reading it so that I could interview you over it. And then I just got so into it that I just blew through it. I couldn't... I thought, well, I'll come back. Yeah. And, I'm not, and I've not had time to come back and do that. So we're kind of doing this interview off the seat of our pants here. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, your characters, you named them, if I'm correct, after people you know. Some of them. Did Some you match them. their character no. with their? No. Because I remember, what's the one guy? Jonathan. Jonathan, Jonathan Starr. Tell that story if you okay, don't it's, mind. No, it, it, it's a, a great story. And um, like I've, I've mentioned before, Jonathan and I have talked about when we get on Ellen, we're telling the story. <laughs> This is Ellen's last year. We better hurry well, we up. We better hurry. Send it in. I had retired from teaching, and I was working selling jewelry at JCPenney. And I'd been there about three weeks. And I was opening the gate to come back from behind the, the jewelry counter. Mm-hmm. And I saw Jonathan coming behind me. And so I didn't want to shut the gate on him. I said, oh, are you coming out? He goes, oh, honey, I did that years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so next week I come in, and I... and. Uh, getting ready and he looks down at me because he's tall and he says Deborah I want to be in your book I said oh, you got to be a kick-ass Vietnam vet that women love he goes I'm in <laughs> totally not the Jonathan Starr I know but boy he's a great character in the book yeah well and I'm sure Jonathan and Starr he loves that you it. know is a great character oh, as well. oh are you kidding or you wouldn't that guy have- that guy cracks me up so much I tell you if I I will never miss one of his birthday parties I will know ne- yeah if, every chance I get you know I just, I go see him. He's wonderful. He's so fun. So much fun. And through him, I met Brian Sanders, who's a local artist. Okay? And he did the selfie um, project, silly selfie project. And uh, he's uh, he's been posting a lot of good work on Facebook recently. Oh, he's, you'll have to send me a yeah, link or yeah. something. He's, he's really, um, really getting prolific again there was a there was a sad time in his life and he seems to have uh, overcome that and it's wonderful to see but he's real fun too he's the one who suggested the uh, building down on um boonville boonville as uh, the place where gambit investigations would be and it is now on the cover of whispers that's the actual building the guy who did the cover i sent him a picture this is what i want it like and that's the actual building he picked it and put it on there what perspective or beliefs have you challenged with your books? Is there something, a belief that you personally have that was a challenge while writing your books? With Almost Home, there were quite a few um, because there is a political aspect to that. But I think one of the most important was when is with Elle. When she's, Elle has a background. She was... Um, She's from a well-to-do family. Well-to-do family. Her stepfather sexually abused her, and she told on him. And he came with a gun and 
shot her, killed her mom and himself. She's the only one that survived it. Okay. And as what a lot of times happens with children, women, men, whatever, who have been uh, abused, they become self-destructive in a lot of ways. And Elle was that way. And so she put herself in a situation that she shouldn't have because she just doesn't care. And uh, so she got beat up pretty bad. And as she's reminiscing about what's going on, she's, she's thinking about how people sanitize rape. The fact that you actually say sexually abused. It's rape. Yeah, Call it rape. Yeah. And if that word makes you too uncomfortable, well, that's too effing bad. Because guess what? Being raped is pretty damn uncomfortable. And I'm she, with you on that. I can't stand it. They yeah. say assaulted. Yeah. She or, says, no, that's not what it is. No, you're, you're, you're sanitizing it. You're cleaning it up. Not only that, the fact that you call them a victim. I'm sick and tired of hearing that word victim. She said it makes you sound like you're this cowering little thing. She's a survivor. Right, and she's not a cowering little thing. Because, yeah, she got beat up that night, but the guy was in worse shape than she was. I want to go back to the word rape, if you don't mind, right, because fine. that is a trigger word for me. I mean, when you talk about sexual assault i just want to punch a hole in a wall i be it's sexual assault to me is you're a child or a woman or a gay person whatever walking down the street and somebody shoves you up against the wall and and grabs your personal parts to me that's an assault yep a sexual assault right rape is rape rape is rape Rape is, and leave it alone, call it what it is. It's yeah. just quit watering it down so that people can feel better about themselves while they're exactly. reading about it or listening about it, whatever. Exactly. Rape is rape, and it should just be, that just, oh, sorry, I went off on it. No, well, that's, and that's, and that's what Elle does. She brings it to the forefront. Okay. I mean, she doesn't spend a whole lot of time on it. She just, that's what she says. Right. You know? And uh, she is a survivor in a lot of ways. I know your love of music and movies and that your books are inspired by verses in the songs you listen to. How do you choose the song? Do you choose the song or are you like sitting in the traffic at a red light listening to your song and you know a green vega goes through and triggers something with you and you're like oh yeah. The horse with no name. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Um, sometimes it does happen. I'm, I'm you know, I'll, um, I'll play my favorites, and sometimes that happens. Well, the, next, the new one is Bob Dylan tune, Not Dark Yet. How did I choose that one? Well, as you know, uh, Shelby Lynn is uh, L. Wyatt's go-to person, because mm-hmm. Shelby's had a lot of tragedy in her life, too. Mm-hmm. And so her music... How Shelby has coped with it is with her music. With her music. And her music has helped Elle cope with the things in her life. So I was, Shelby has a CD that she recorded with her sister, Allison Moore, also the author of the book I've been reading. So as I was listening to that, they do Bob Dylan's Not Dark Yet. And I'm going, Not Dark Yet? What you could do with that? And then the next line is, Not Dark Yet, but it's getting there. I'm, yeah, that's my next book. And it's, it's, I have the title, 
and then I start. And then flying. no words come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was. That, that's I exactly can see how where that would about, be a good title because you know, yeah, that's a wide open field. Anything uh, could happen. You could, yes, <laughs> that, that's you know, if I if I'm talking to children about that, they think, well, it's getting dark outside. But you talk to somebody that's got some stuff in their shady stuff in their background. Yeah. Or they face some, their own demons. What is the hardest part to write in your books? The hardest um, scene, sometimes the hardest scene is just a transitional scene because um, you're going from one thing to another, maybe it's a day or so later or whatever, and, and it, it's not all that important, so you don't spend a lot of time on it. But there's so many times those transitional scenes, when I go back and I read it, it's just not right. Yeah. It's not, and I'll work and I'll work and I'll, a lot, even... I'll change a few things, thinks I've got it, and then even when I'm getting ready to go to publication, I'm going, it's still not right, and I'll end up having to work hours to get it. Okay, so a lot of times those are the hardest to write, but it has to be right. If it's not right for you, it's not right for them. Sometimes it is, the hardest is also where you don't want to make any mistakes, where it's a technical oh, yeah. thing, because well, I've got an in-flight emergency, it's technical, it's got to be right on. And I've got to have the research, and I've got to have the consultants, and they've got to go over it and read it. And But still, it has to be where the reader can understand it. It can't be that technical. Okay, so those have to. Those are kind of difficult. When the deed is done, you've got to make sure there aren't any clues, and you've got to go sanitize it, you know. And, uh, and uh, the last one, that one, I have her stop at the, And what I did was I had my character, I just got in her head, had her stop at the door and go through her mind, everything that she had on that list. And she'd almost forgotten one. And she turned around and got what she needed. Was that because, I mean, you were playing the character? I was in my head, the character. What would I, yeah, checking them and off. And you were checking them off in your head and you almost forgot one. And then you just incorporated that mm -hmm. into the book. Even though I had a list of everything. Yeah. But when I was in her head, there was one thing I forgot on that list. Is or was part that was the funnest to write? Well, um, we were sitting here just a few minutes ago because I had to go get it. It was just so much fun. Again, getting into head of your characters. So it's in, <clears throat> it's in Whispers, and we've got the Anniversary Killer. Okay, the very big psychological thriller, this one. Now, Whispers is the second book. It's the second book. Okay. All right. Now, it's not giving anything away to tell you about the Anniversary Killer. Okay? What he does is he considers himself having a girlfriend. Okay? And he sends her cards on every holiday but it's always a halloween card okay mm -hmm. i don't care if it's valentine's day i don't care if it's fourth yeah. of july it's always a halloween card and then on halloween he sends her a card with a picture of a dead body of somebody she loves so he's the anniversary killer so he's um he's um, changing his mo a little bit and he's stalking her somewhat this newest one this newest girlfriend He's in St. Louis, and he's waiting for the right time to go do the things he wants to do. And so this is how it goes. He was lounging on the queen-size bed, staring over his folded hands at his wiggling toes. He thought of all the players in this little production. Thinking of himself first, he began, This little piggy went to St. Louis. The next line was Lydia's, This little piggy got sick. Then the new character, Hadley, This little piggy met a floozy. And don't forget Poet. This little piggy's got a sidekick. He paused, trying to think of a comparable last line. After a minute, he gave up and said, and this little piggy is one happy camper. He laughed so hard, he almost fell off the bed. <laughs> so, you know, 
That was fun. Yeah, who would have thought of doing little piggies? Oh, no, that's hilarious. Okay. He's, he's just sitting in bed looking at his wiggling toes, and he starts to... That, I guess he's just sick. But that was fun. That's the thing funny. is, it's like you're going along, and all of a sudden pop, something pops in your head. Oh, God, I work here. Oh, I ought to work here. Those, those are fun. And then, like I said, I got to call my friends, and we all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is your writing process like? Are you a plotter or a pantser? Well, since we looked up what pantser is, I know that's what I am. I'm a pantser. <laughs> I know how it's going to start, and I know how it's going to end. Oh, you already know how this next book is going to yeah. end. I know exactly how it's going to end. I know where it's going to end, how it's going to end. I don't know what, how, what all we're going to do to get there. So as I'm talking to people, but um, it's... Is it a good character or a bad character? Well, the line uh, kind of gives you a hint when he says... Um, he read over what he'd written. The facts were a little shady, but just add the word allegedly and the lawyers would be happy. So it gives you a little hand about it. That's a wide open. It is. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, All right. And, and there's another clue when, he, in, when uh, the, the caller says, you like exposés. Well, you've got a big one on your hands now. What's your schedule like when you're writing a book? Before I started, before I went back to substituting, I, and it's changed. When I was writing the first book, I was writing mostly at night, uh, when it was everybody else was asleep in the whole world. Uh, maybe like writing up till five thirty six a.m. Mm -hmm. and then that changed, and then it started to be afternoons. I think with that first book, I was just that was the first one I'd ever written, and it just came, 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 mm -hmm. came because it was semi autobiographical, and it was, so it it just it you couldn't stop that. Yeah, couldn't, you couldn't. Yeah. You couldn't. Um, now when I write. It's not the same. You know, that was stuff I had to get out. I just had to get out. Now when I write, it's, it's more um, for fun. And it's, yeah, I got a story to tell. And, and I always try to come up with something in society that we are facing, mm -hmm. that we have to deal with. Um, but now it's kind of for fun. And uh, so it's not as urgent. Um, but since I have been substituting, I haven't written a whole lot. Mm -hmm. So I won't be substituting very much longer. I'm really anxious now to get started on this one. I'm going to Florida in a little over a week, and I know I'll have some time. I might write while I'm on the plane uh, or while I'm sitting. Uh huh. And um, Now, when you write, do you, I mean, you write while you're on the plane. Are you if I write on pecking the, it into your phone, or are you longhand writing it? I'm longhand writing it on the plane if I am in a um, hotel, or if I'm here at the house, I'm typing it in. But when I'm writing by longhand, I'm doing it and I'm scribbling out and I'm writing. Buddy is once again clamoring to be on the podcast. The dog, Buddy. Yeah. buddy. <laughs> you can hear his tags and his toes on the wooden floor and jangling. Mm -hmm. But anyway, because I won't be able to edit that out, I wouldn't no, explain that's fine. it. Yeah. Buddy is on the podcast with us. Okay. On that note, have your pets ever gotten in the way of your writing? Sometimes, if I'm not paying attention to my pets because I'm writing, i got a mess to clean up in the house. <laughs> they have tried to get my attention. And then I will find that I should have not left them alone. But they tried. So that's about it. <laughs> Who do you trust for objective and or constructive criticism of your work? I have some... Friends and some consultants. My very, one of my very, very dear friends, very, very dear friends, um, his name is Bruce. He lives in Ohio. And he has been a consultant, but 
even though Jonathan Starr gets his name from Jonathan Starr from J.C. Penney, mm -hmm. uh, the character is somewhat like Bruce. Um, Bruce will always tell me the truth. Uh, another person. What is his background again? Can you say? Um, Special Forces Vietnam. He's the he's Jonathan Starr. Got it carved after him. He got a lot of the same characteristics that Bruce does. Another one, more recent, is Buck Bisking. Uh, he started out being a consultant for, went for a ride. Um, he was a retired naval officer. Buck, oh, so sharp, very smart man, but he had a great vocabulary too. But he can tell me exactly where he feels there's an issue, and he does it in a very constructive way. He has a way of putting it where it's not going to hurt my feelings, but he gets his point across, and it's like, yeah, you're right. So Man, um, pe that's a craft. I wish it I is. He can do that. I don't that know. That is a craft. To be I don't able know. To do that without. Uh, you know, maybe in in some of the work he's done, because uh, he he did other things after the Navy. But I can send things to him, like uh, for the back of the uh, the book on what went for a ride. I mm -hmm. couldn't get it right. I just couldn't get it right. So I sent it. I said, "Okay, Buck, tell me." And he did. And from what he told me, next thing I sent was, "Yep, you got it." So I, I have people that I go to. Have you thought of killing one of the characters in your books? Everybody says, Deborah, you got to kill off one of the main characters. I love them. I can't do it. Why do they say that? Do I, don't, uh, I don't know. I know that one of my favorite authors, Karen Slaughter, did it. I was so mad at her. I was so, And everybody was mad at her. But by golly, she took it and she turned it around. And I like how she did it. I mean, after the next book that she wrote, okay, and then after that, she had a plan all along. And she did it very successfully. And I, and I know it hurt her to have to kill off that character. I don't know that I can yet. Maybe give me a few more down the road. But I, I, there is one character I could care, kill off, but he's just a minor one, you know. So I went looking, who could I kill off? You know, he's just a minor. It's no big deal. But then that's not the whole point of it, right? you well, got to kill off a major one. I mean, if you're going to kill off someone, maybe that leaves the minor one room to grow. I don't well, know. when Karen did it, she moved. What she did was then she took her main character from a rural area into the city. The city. So if you're if you're going to do that, I think you know, you're looking for a major change in your book. And right now, I don't see a major change coming. If something were to happen to Rick, yeah, maybe Elle would think about it. But I uh, He's my Prince Charming. I can't kill off him. I got one more question, and then what I thought we could do is just pick up each one of your books and kind of go through them separately, if that's okay? Mm -hmm. Before we get to the book section, if you had all day to spend with one author, who would it be and why? I've met Lee Child. Got a chance to talk with him a little bit, so I think I would kind of move on. And it might be Karen Slaughter. She's young. But boy, she can write, and she and and what she writes is raw. I mean, you're going to have some raw emotion in there, and she does not pull punches. Uh, mystery suspense uh, taking place in Atlanta now is where it's taking place. Um, I would almost think yours is mystery suspense, but it isn't. It's well, Buck says it's a psychological thriller, and I think he's right. Karen Slaughter is 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 like my L in terms that she won't she won't sidestep the issue. It's going to be right there, and it's going to be right in your face. And you're going to have to look at it whether you want to or not. And that's what I like about her. That's your interpretation of her reading. Her writing. Her writing. It is. She Because is, you haven't if it's actually rape, met It's her. rape. You know, it's, yeah, it's. I talked over you on that one. Okay. So you said, if she says it's rape, it's rape. That's, it's yeah, she's not, not sexual gonna, assault. No. If she is, she's, 
it is there right in front of your face. She's not going to use all these words to make you give a fuzzy feeling, you know, make you feel better. Uh-uh. If it makes you uncomfortable, too bad. This is life. It was pretty uncomfortable for the person right. who had to survive it, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I think I would talk to her because she's, she's like, oh, wow. She's just, mm, it's there. And you can't get away from it. And you don't want to stop reading. You can't get away from what she is putting there for you. How many books does she have out? Oh, geez. She's got quite a few. She's got a lot. And she's got great characters. Fantastic characters. I will have to put her on the list that I have to read. But I have a bunch to read, plus everything else. But I will try to get to one of her books for sure now. So I'm going to take a pause for just a moment. Take a little break. We'll get some water or another glass of wine. And we'll get back to it. Okay. Okay, so during the break, Deborah and I kind of discussed how we're going to finish this interview, and we've decided that we are going to just take it one book at a time. Sounds so good. we will just chop this interview up into several different, and we're, today we're going to talk about the first book, Almost Home. When I was researching for this podcast, researching you... <laughs> I came across a YouTube that you did with the um, Sisters in Crime out mm -hmm. of St. Louis. Fedora Amos? Fedora Amos, president of the St. Louis branch. Correct me if I'm wrong. Who, who told you you write like you talk? You're that was my editor. Dr. Douglas Starr is my editor. And he is a journalism professor at a university in uh, Texas. And, of course, now retired. He was an Associated Press reporter back in the day. So he's seen it all. He's um, very good at what he does. And uh, he, he's the one who told me that I write like I'm talking to somebody, like I'm having a conversation. And it was very complimentary because he said it's a superior form of writing. Well, I felt, before you even said it was a superior form of writing, which is, you know, remarkable. That's a great thing to have someone say. I felt the same way. I felt like I was in a conversation with you as I was reading the books. And I don't, you know, that's rare that you feel like you're in the book having a conversation with someone. I feel like when I read your books, I was right in there just watching it all go down. Well, um, that's what a lady from, a reader from Florida said. Uh, she said, I felt like I was meeting with you having coffee. And so she said, I usually read straight through a book, but with yours, I paced myself. I didn't want it to end. I wanted to go and have coffee with you. And I think part of that comes from the fact that I'm a storyteller. I'm telling a story. Mm -hmm. And it's like I'm sitting there talking to you, telling right. that story. Right. And uh, So what was it like talking to Fedora Amos? Uh, it was a thrill. Historical fiction. And... Uh, based in St. Louis. And so she's a very, very bright woman, very accomplished. And so it was a, it was a joy to talk with her. Um, and she's very good at interviewing. So I considered it a very big part, a very... An honor. Like a, yeah, an honor, a step up from anything that I had ever done. Okay, so Almost Home is semi-autobiographical. And so what do you want to say about Almost Home? Um, Almost Home was like... Describe it. There was, there was stuff I had to get out. I had to get out. Stuff in my life that I've lived... Okay. But it's not entirely No, it's, it's... Some of it is... A great deal of... The, Shelley Matheson the is me. Shelley Matheson is me. Correct. Okay? But I mean... Some of the things she goes through are fake. Yeah. But she is me. There's no doubt about it. 
we and we talked about this a little bit in the earlier podcast, okay? I was born in 1953. I graduated from high school in 72. The opportunities for women just weren't out there. And Shelly, like me, felt like she was a second-class citizen because she was female. And as the years have gone by, things have changed for women. We're still not there, but <laughs> things have changed. And our, our, you know, you have, would I have become a teacher if I would have had all the opportunities? I don't know. Yeah, well, you talked about Barbara Walters yeah. because you had said that you had uh, studied some journalism in school, and the only reason you didn't go was because... Barbara Walters was just starting out. Yeah. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a writer from early on, but I didn't see really the possibility of that. And then my self-concept, mm-hmm. adding to that, that you're second class... You know, if I'd had a different feeling, belief in myself or whatever, I think I could have done it. Now, yeah, I think I can do anything I want to. Well, I know I can now. I've written, I've written four books. And going on the fifth. And going on the fifth. So I know I can do anything I want to now. But at that point, I didn't have the confidence to, to do what Barbara Walters was doing to put yourself out there and be criticized. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they drug her through the. Yeah, uh, you know. So I just didn't. So I fell back on what a lot of women did. Um, I was smart, educated, became a teacher. I want to say something, and then you tell me if you want me to cut this out of the podcast, I will. Yesterday I was listening again to Oprah, and she was interviewing this author who, um, when he was 16, he shot and killed someone. And he was telling his story up to why, blah, blah, blah. And he did 19 years' time, and he'd had a son, so he was talking about it. And apparently in his book, because I haven't read his book, he said, Oprah said, I couldn't believe in your book, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher this, where you had a man sitting on the couch reading to his children, reading the book to his children. And he goes, yeah. He says, we never had that growing up. We never knew that our fathers could read us books. We never knew that our fathers could fold laundry because we, a black man never did that. We never had those role models. So when you said that about Barbara Walters, you wanted to be a journalist, but you had no role model. There you go. And you had no... I mean, did you watch her go through some of the trenches? Did you know yes. what she was going through? Yes. As she, because I know she went through H E double hockey. Yeah, know? yeah. And of course, then what do they? First, they start you out doing fluff. And oh yeah. And then of course you are you don't have the intelligence to do the real hard stories. Well, yes, yeah, she did. You know, it was kind of like um, I read um, about Jackie Kennedy Onassis, mm-hmm. and. Um, she was with her second husband, right? And uh, they were talking politics with a bunch of people. And okay, she'd been first lady. She'd been in all of this, and she has something to say. And they just put her down. And shut her up. Yeah, shut her up. What do you don't know anything? Get out! By golly, she did. And Wait that a was by golly, she did. By golly, she did know stuff. Did she? She lived did through she it. Sit down and no, did she, she left. She left. She walked out. There was all these men telling her she didn't know Jack, and she left. Well, she knew Jack Kennedy, and she <laughs> yeah. knew more. But uh, she lived through all that stuff. What do you mean? You know, but no, she had nothing to contribute. She was female. But Shelly addresses, Shelly Matheson addresses this problem. 
because of what she is going through in when when she stumbles on to a 35-year-old unsolved murder, and she finds that it's linked to Nazis. Oh, yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, And white supremacists. When she stumbles onto that, <clears throat> she has always been the type. She grew military family. She grew up, as she says, with every combination of DNA you can think of is what she grew up with. Everybody was the same. And so she considers herself unbiased, non-racist. She's got friends that are black. She's got friends that are Hispanic. She's got gay friends. She's got everybody's her friend, right? And yet, when she gets into this and she realizes, all I've been doing is talking it. I haven't been walking it. And she realizes, I had no clue what my friends of color were going through. She says, I wasn't a, a mother of a black child. I'm wondering if he was gonna, if she's gonna wake up the next morning Friday and hanging in a tree like Michael Donald. She wasn't um, the guy who wondered if he was even gonna live till the end of the day who was dragged on the back of a, uh-huh. a car for uh-huh. three miles till he died down uh-huh. in Texas. Those things happened. I know. And the I, gay re- boy that was I have in the no bar idea water. what it was like, even though here I am. Thinking, I, I have friends. I have no race. Right? I don't have a, a, a black friend yeah. of mine said, "Deborah, you don't have racist bone in your body." And as I'm reading and doing all this, I'm going, "Maybe I do and don't know it because I was saying things that were really stupid." That but because I, it just showed me. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And I, I women have been held down. Even we still don't have equal rights amendment in the Constitution for women. Uh-huh. We no. do not. We and we have only been allowed to vote in the last 100 years. I know. But by golly, I do have a chance to get. I know. It's just crazy. <laughs> so we got off on that, and I apologize. It's, it's um, social, it's economic. It's no, just... but it's life. And, and that's what we were talking about with Almost Home. It was me. I got to get in there and hit those things that I've always wanted to hit and never felt I had the confidence to do it, never felt that the words were really there, never, and boy, but they came. They came, and I couldn't stop them with Almost Home. I couldn't. Now, the like I said, some people, I think, that one is the one that has only a political aspect to it. The rest of them don't. And, and with that one, Well, that's I'm because it's semi-autobiographical. Yeah. And of what was going on in the country at that right. time. We were having Americans again turned against Americans, which is still continuing now. And... Uh, it, it, it's just so angry, makes you so angry, and that was the whole point of it. We were getting angry at each other, and she says, "I'm done with getting angry with each other. I'm not listening to this stuff on Facebook and on Twitter and on whatever. I'm not listening anymore." And that's when she goes looking for that friend and stumbles across that murder. But she had those things they had to get. So when somebody says, "Well, you know, it's a little," poli-, I said, "Well, did you read till the end? If they don't agree with my politics, that's fine. You don't have to agree with my politics. That's what America's all about." Mm-hmm. Okay? Did you read the end? No. I said, "Well, read the end, then we'll talk." Did they? And, and I haven't heard from them. Mm-hmm. And I've done that a couple of times. So get through the end. You may find that the it ends differently than what you thought. When she comes to terms with things that are going on in America, maybe it might be how you could resolve some things too for yourself. Lessons learned. On page 50, even little children knew I was undesirable. The six-year-old boy walked up to me in daycare where I worked while in college and announced, quote, men don't like fat women, end quote. I already knew they didn't, but it stung to have a child say it to my face. But then again, 
children have no filters. They only repeat what they have been taught. Society started teaching me at an early age, and I was one of its best pupils. When I look back at pictures of me taken at the time, I wasn't obese. I was just more Marilyn than Twiggy. I love that. That, to me, is just, I know this sounds, maybe sounds corny, but that is beautiful. That's how I felt. It's raw, but it's beautiful. I mean, that it's sad. We don't, you know, not all of us are going to be five foot three blonde with the, you know, what is it? 36, 24, 36. And if you see them today like that, there's have body contour, come on, for the most part. Um, you know, we can we can do that today if we want. Um, if you'll notice, I never had braces. And so these two eye teeth stick out a little bit mm-hmm. more. And uh, Dennis says, yeah, Deborah, you know, braces, you know. And, and they are, I, I mean, I'm starting to have issues back here. Are you your know? molars out? Yeah, yeah. But I'm starting to have issues anyway. Okay. And, uh, you know, braces. But then I got to thinking, I don't know. Do I really want to get rid of that because that is me? At times I look at that, you know, those crooked teeth and where, the, where those eye teeth just come. It's like you've been punched in the face a little bit, like Linda Ronstadt used to have. Well, <laughs> you know, you know um, her teeth were that way. Who was the famous model that had the... Oh, Cheryl Teagues. Yeah. yeah she refused. Was it Cheryl? To, yeah, she refused to get them. Refused to get, get them. She had a space between her teeth. Refused to. Get it. You'll, be, you'll do much, no. much more successful than that. So he says, well, don't worry. He says, we can change it a little bit. We don't have to change it all. He says, what is happening now is that people like their imperfections and want to keep some of those imperfections. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? Instead of thinking everybody's got to be like Logan's Run. You remember that movie? Mm-hmm. You could go in and you could choose among four or five different types of women that you wanted to be, Farrah Fawcett being one of them. And, that, and you would have surgery and all this stuff done and everybody would be gorgeous and beautiful and all. But now, isn't it nice knowing that we want to keep our imperfections? And maybe that's a good thing? How wonderful is that? You know, we're getting off the books. I know, we did it all the time. But uh, let's just, I'm just going to say that I have just let myself age and maybe not so gracefully. But I've had a lot of things in my life that I've earned these little wrinkles. I've earned this gray hair. (laughs) I have earned it. And so I, but when I look out at the world I see I'm like I'm 36 years old you know and then I look in the mirror and I'm like (laughs) what happened to you but but smiling you know the wrinkles don't show (laughs) oh they still do not as much it I don't know I'm not going to do anything to change it I worry about the people that do all that stuff and then what's going to happen 20 years down the road. I don't know. People are worried about the vaccine. <laughs> but they're putting yeah, all this other stuff in their body. <laughs> I like who I am now. Yeah. And uh, I like how I look now. Um, the, the gray is real. I like how my brain says I look. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, too. I don't care about the rest. Um, and people get on to me for wearing a mask, and I said, what? I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> you, don't <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> see half of my face. You know, that's it. Yeah, turn it turn it around, turn it in humor. But The Jewish gal yeah. that was on that podcast, she said, everything that has happened in the last six years is everything out of Nazi playbook. It is. And it's still happening. It is. It and is. people, and that's why. Well, well, why are we getting all the spanning of books and everything, and, and going to tell what we can, what teachers can teach about history? 
whoa, who's trying to control his? Talk about counterculture. Talk about who's who's, who's who's controlling talk it about. now? Oh my goodness, Dang. we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to talk about that. Oh my, who? Oh, that's what she said yesterday. It's it's completely out of the playbook. It is, and and that's why she goes around to schools that invite her. And she has this program that teaches about, you know, the Jews and, and what happened to them. And she was telling a story about her grandfather, which was horrific, but, you know, every one of those stories were horrific. Yes. That that would be just the, the worst, most evil sin if that were to happen on the United well, States. Well, and that's the whole thing, you know. But in and your book, you address that. They were, the United States of America brought... Nazi war criminals. It's called Operation Paperclip. Mm -hmm. Over here. They brought Nazi war criminals over here. They expunged their records and brought them here. And what was their purpose? They didn't want it. All these great, fantastic minds going to the Soviet Union. So they brought them here. But they were Nazis. They were were not just Germans. No, they were not. Von Braun was one whose father was space program. So he came here. He did do good work. But... In Operation Paperclip, it is brought out. Nazis beside us. Um, and this is true. These are true, true well facts. documented. Yes, well documented. Okay, these are not, yeah. They, yeah. This is not just something an no. author puts he in would, a book. This for, is, his, for his factories, they were making missiles and things like that. And for his factories, he would go to the concentration camps and pick out the slave labor. Von. Von Braun did. Okay. So, again, I wasn't him in that day. What would I have done being faced with either or, this or that? I don't know. So how do you, how do you judge? Okay? But some of them were pretty bad. And some of them came here and also spied for the Soviets. So you, you, you've got to do your, your work and your history. Yeah. Okay, some of them contributed and were great. Don't get me wrong. They did. They... They came and they and they did great things here. Um, because of that is how I could I could bring in Operation Paperclip. Yeah, we brought over these people and I could pick one of them and, and make up one that wasn't very good. Now Lisa, in your book, yes, she's German descent. No, she's German descent. She when Re- I was refresh my memory okay. was she from one of those that were brought over or was she just a German descent? How I got started on the book was okay. I'm retired. Mm-hmm. I'm on social media, mm-hmm. and all this fighting back and forth, and oh God, it's awful. And I'm done. That's not what I retired was sitting here, and because I started taking part in it, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm going, God, give me away. I don't want to be angry. I'm, a, I'm in retirement. This is not what retirement's supposed to be angry about. So I started looking for a friend I hadn't seen since 1976. Now we were both army brats. This is true story. She and I were best friends at Fort Leonard Wood. Our dad's retired in 68. She went to um, a suburb of Chicago. I went to Seligman, which is down by the Arkansas line. Okay, We saw each other one more time. Uh, in uh, I was probably a freshman in high school. I went to visit her. I mean, freshman in college. I went to visit her. Okay. How was she? I haven't heard, seen from her since. So How I thought, was she um, when you went to visit her? Oh, great. She was working and everything. Her father had passed away. But she had been born in Germany. Of uh, She was total German. Um, her adoptive father was an American serviceman. He had gone over there, met her mom, fell in love, adopted her. They came here. Okay. So I went looking for her. Right. I couldn't find her. 
and I could find where she became a, a citizen, citizen, a naturalized citizen. And um, I found her adoptive father's family on a gene genealogical site. And from there, I found his grandniece on Facebook. And I got in touch with the grandniece and introduced myself, gave a bit of information that only that only my friend and I would know, so they know I'm not a, uh -huh. you know, scammer, whatever. And she says, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. She says, let me talk to my Aunt Pat. I'll get back. I didn't hear anything for two weeks. Mm -hmm. So um, I get in touch with her again. And she says, oh, don't know who you're talking about. You got the wrong family. Then I got his obituary, and there were their names with my friend's name. They were lying. Okay, yeah. Why are they lying? Variety of reasons. You know, maybe she didn't want to see me. I don't know. Um, whatever. So this was recently. This was this is why this was before I started writing. In what year? This was probably 2016. So that's about when the gates of hell were opened. Yeah, we were opening them. Yeah. So um, 2016, 2017. So um, I went to visit my friend. I mean, my son and some of his friends were listening to me talk. And finally, one of his roommates turns her um, computer around and says, "Is this her?" He found her. Oh, Cass. Had, my friend had nerve damage on her lip right here. This lady did too. Her head was shaped the same because she had that um, heart shape where the chin comes down. Her fingers were shaped the same and everything. Her age was right. And I'm going, yeah. And I go, what? She goes, this is a woman living in Germany and she was going by her mother's maiden name. She went back to Germany? If it's her, she was living in Germany going by her mother's maiden name. What had happened was... I had her mother's maiden name. This friend had put in mother's maiden name, and she popped up. So why is she, if this is her, why is she in Germany going by her? Okay, never have found out. Don't know the answer. But so I'm telling my best friend here, she says, Deborah, you're a writer, and there's your book. <laughs> and that's what Almost Home became. And then it was, choom. Then it just yeah, opened up it. the floodgates, yeah. and it all came tumbling yeah. out. So I can, her, my friend's parents, had grown up in Nazi Germany. Again, as an author, what can you do with that? Especially when you know all this history. You know, my dad was over there. You know, it's just... And that's how that book got started. And it would just, boom! It was fantastic. Do you think that because, you know, you were writing about Lisa, it made you look back at yourself and you were... And all the memories came flooding back and you just had to get them out? Had to get them out. All the things, all my life, that I always wanted to say yeah. and never felt I could yeah. or should or whatever, they came out. But what is even better is that now my main female character is Elle Wyatt and she's in her 30s and she can say and do them now. She doesn't have to wait until she's, she's so voice. old she doesn't care about what anybody thinks. She says them now. So, yeah, that's what you were saying. Yeah, I, uh, I spoke for Shelley Matheson, but Elle Wyatt speaks for me. She speaks for the, the, the girl who grew up who never could say those things because she does, and she doesn't care. And she's in the whisper. She's in whispers and on the border and went for a ride, and she's going to be the subject of Not Dark Yet. Yeah, I could tell that. Not Dark Yet. Yeah. I've got to be very careful with Not Dark Yet because I don't, even though all the books are standalone, I don't want to give away well, no. What happens no, in the others? I don't want to we want to do it as a way to intrigue you to read the others. <laughs> They're good books. <laughs> they are good books. Seriously. So on page 53. Yep. Let's just go to page 53. Go to page 53. Quote, Me too. 
actress Alyssa Milano tweeted the phrase and encouraged all victims, victims of sexual assault and harassment to post the two words on social media sites. Her tweet was a result of the many women who had come forward recently and, and accused famous film producer Harvey Weinstein of these acts. I heard a therapist today say that blaming the victims of sexual assault makes others feel safe, like rape can't happen to them. Look around you on your Twitter feed. Look on your Facebook page. Quote, me too, me too, me too, me too, me too. How many women, men, children wrote these words on their timeline and clicked enter? You are not safe and neither are your children. On C-SPAN, actress Alyssa Milano, she was um, testifying about her Me Too story. Oh, look at all the people that have Me Too stories. But I have to say that actress Melissa wasn't the first one. Mm -hmm. Because, and I would not have known this. This is what I said. I learn stuff every day. <laughs> and Tarana Burke, she's an author of Unbound. Um, let's see, Unbound, My Story of Liberation and the Birth of the Me Too Moment. And she coined the phrase Me Too. And she was just devastated. She was torn apart because she didn't know how to... She had worked her entire life. She had lived. She had been sexually... She had been raped. Uh, yes. There you go. Call it what it is. And so she, was she spent her entire life working to make sure other children didn't go through what she went through. And she wasn't perfect by any means. She had stumbles. She fell down, whatever. But when the actress came out and said that, then it got all splashed across everybody's scene, uh, screens on TV, social media. She just didn't, I mean, I guess you would call it a mini breakdown. She was just devastated. She was like, I've worked my entire life, and this one white girl comes on TV and says this, and then now everybody's going to listen. But I've worked my entire life trying to get this out. I said me too. I taught my girls me too. And she comes out and she says yeah. it. And I see I didn't know that until you brought it to my attention. And I just wanted to give her credit for I mean give Tarana. I mean and God bless Alyssa for doing that as well. Right. Right. And I don't think I think Tarana has has come to respect what Alyssa did, too. She got it out, too. She was, she was... That was the important point. She was, she was allowed to put it out in mainstream right. media. Okay? Uh, she had credibility yeah. um, in doing it. That does not lessen what Miss Burke went through at all, whatsoever. But again, it does show you how society will listen to one side more than they will another. Yeah. And I'm not faulting you for putting that in the book like that. No, I was unaware of this. Yeah. At all. But she came to realize that, you know, it's okay. She was just yeah. devastated because she had worked her entire life. And this one little girl gets up in front of a camera. And now it's all, and now everybody's listening. She's been screaming it from every rooftop she could climb up on. Don't I matter? Don't and now, I matter? And yeah. that's what she's been trying to say for yeah. years. Don't I matter? And we were just going back through the book. We had talked about the Me Too moment, which was pretty heavy. 
And well, this book has got some heavy topics in it, but you had a very good way of, I mean, when you're talking about Nazi, rape, and I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff in here, but it well, doesn't feel heavy when you're reading it. I, I it think opens in, your eyes. Yeah, I think in there it was, it, was, it was talking about history, informative about history. And you also learn about, you know, the, the project that, to breed the top Aryan kids. So talk to me about this bacon shopping. <laughs> well, I told you, Shelly's me, right? And by golly, the day I wrote that, I had just been to the store. And I am waiting in line to get to the bacon. And somebody walks up and they just grab it. They don't even look at it and they throw it in. And I'm going, oh, God, how can you do that? It's just like, you know, I'm like Fred Sanford. Elizabeth, I'm coming to see you. You know, how in the world? So naturally, I get home. I start writing. We put it in the book. And it goes, quote, I can't understand people who just pick up a package of bacon and toss it in their cart. I swear, I check every slab for the one with the most meat. I'm not OCD, I just love bacon. And I thought, I have always done that. I can't remember if my mother taught me to do that. You know, look, my mom did. I think my mom probably did. But the thing is, that's an everyday thing that we all go through. Yes. You know, and, and that's another thing that Buck said about my writing. He says, you take something, you know. That, Every day. Yeah, it's an everyday thing, and then take and you turn it into something in the book. It's, yeah. yeah, I love you it. Know. Where did you get that? It just happened that day. When I was reading this, I know I told you this earlier, but I had a hard time because I f felt so connected to Shelley that I had a I had a hard time differentiating. I was connecting with Shelley because I was like, man, I hear you, sister. I've walked mm -hmm. that road before. If you're, if you're a woman in your 60s, you will. Dr. Starr said, he said, your book will connect with women of all ages. I was telling you earlier that I related with Shelley so much, and we had met just briefly. <laughs> By chance. Yeah, a couple of times. You're easy to talk to. So as I'm reading this book and I'm clicking with Shelley, I'm like, girl, sister, we are walking the same walk. But I had so many laugh-out-loud moments in this book and ahas, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I feel you. Been there, done that. You know, yeah. I, that, that's what I love about your books. And aha is because you've been in the same places that she's been. You know, whether it's just an everyday thing like buying bacon, bacon. or whether it's uh, something traumatic that's happened. Yeah. And the thing, the thing about Jonathan Starr, we, we talk about different types of personalities, okay? And Jonathan Starr is the type of guy, he cannot vocalize his emotions. He, he's not going to be the one that's going to give you a Valentine's present, okay? He will find other ways to show that he loves you. You know, though some people may not see it or someone would think, he doesn't buy you anything for Valentine's Day. No, but by golly, he makes sure that the, my coffee creamer is always in that refrigerator, mm -hmm. no matter where we are. Mm -hmm. That's how he shows his love. And there are different ways of showing love. And I did research on that too to find out. He is a caregiver, although he's not demonstrative with it. And that doesn't mean that a man doesn't love you. He doesn't have to constantly be kissing you and hugging you and holding your hand and whatever yeah, I, to show his love. He can that. show his love in other ways. Yeah. And that's the way Jonathan Starr does. And I think a lot of women can identify with that. Yeah. He, when I think, when I try to picture Jonathan in my mind, I think of this, I want to say stoic, but I don't know if that's the right word. That's pretty but good. I, you want to know who I had in yeah. mind when I wrote him? Yes. Actor Chris Cooper. He's well, he's got he's got a Academy Award. 
Uh, he's from Missouri. I like that too. Uh, the movie Where's that he from? Uh, Missouri Kansas City. Mm. Um, the uh, movie that I really loved him in was Lone Star, which is a John Sayles movie, and uh, it was that 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 character that he played there was who I modeled Jonathan Star after. <laughs> well, and I yeah. would love if this okay. was ever a movie. I want Chris Cooper playing that part. He's not a gorgeous-looking man, oh, but he hate you is. For saying that. But hold it, but hold it. I mean, if you look at him, the more you watch him, the more you listen to him, more, he becomes the oh, most yeah. gorgeous thing on the earth, and that is true beauty. And that's who I want to play Jonathan Starr. So you've named Jonathan Starr a former Vietnam vet. Yes. Who looks like... An, Chris Cooper. <laughs> an Oscar-winning... Chris Cooper, yeah. Actor. Yeah. That's... wow. Isn't that the way it should be? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and so when I wanted to have scenes with Jonathan, I went through and I found pictures of Chris Cooper. Oh, no. And I could describe how he would stand. I would describe what he was wearing off of pictures of Chris Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. It makes the work a lot easier. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that look. That's how Jonathan started. Yeah, that's it. So anybody knows Chris Cooper, tell him to get in touch. We got a great part for him. That's that's right. Shout out. Hashtag Chris Cooper. Um, So in Almost Home... And we are focusing on Almost Home. You've got three other books. Shelly is not in the three other She's books. Yes, she makes an appearance. When I got done with Almost Home, Shelly and Jonathan were looking forward to retirement. I'm not going to change that, okay? And I, I didn't... When I wrote Almost Home, I didn't think I was going to write any more books. That was it. Right. Oh, well, hey, i got a lot more things to do and say. So um, I decided to make characters in their 30s. Okay, so Shelly and Elle know each other from a group, therapy group. Okay. Okay. For those who have been yep. sexually abused. And there's another friend in there that was in that group that makes a big part throughout. So she gets mentioned now and then. And then her son, okay, Dan- Daniel, mm-hmm. um, which was named for a friend of hers who died of AIDS, mm-hmm. has a recurring part also. I'm thinking of bringing him in big time, but I don't know. Daniel in the book is named after real life Daniel who helped you out. Of a situation. No, not a real life Daniel. Um, we don't yeah, have to. That's, no, that's fine. I was raped when I was 17. I didn't even look, my fault. I always thought, what happened to me that night was my fault. Okay, that's how we were raised. It wasn't until I was in therapy that I'm sitting there, and my therapist's name is Hal. And um, we had just finished the topic, and he's making notes, and he's not, he's just not even looking up, he's making notes. He says, So tell me about the time you were raped. And I'm like 50, and it dawned on me. That was a rape. Where all this time, what had happened to me that one night wasn't a rape. And it, it wasn't until that I came to terms with what it really was. So, um, in the book, Shelley has been raped. Because you don't talk about it. Well, we the, were... You don't. If you were seven... What were you wearing? Who were you with? What time was it? Where you, were you? You, you, you! Yeah. Good... God in heaven! Mm-hmm. He took my virginity. Mm. I didn't give it to him. He took it. So you were talking to the, I'm sorry. So I was talking to my therapist. You know, and, but that was the first time it had dawned on me that that's what had happened to me. Now I start healing because now I know all the reasons for the self hate, the self doubt. Yes, all of it. It wasn't me. 
It wasn't me. It was him. But it wasn't until my 50s that I realized that. And then things started to change for me. Amazing. That's a big one right there. Do you want me to cut that out? No. Okay. Everybody, you can, that's, I wrote a letter to the editor that tells about it, you know. So Is no. that the one that got you in trouble with the school? No, that was a different, this was the one to the editor. This one was um, after I'd been retired quite some time, and I'd already written a book. But it was the first time I came out and told people about it, and I definitely called my son to let him know it was there, because I knew he was going to hear about it one way or the other, and I, I knew that my students were going to see it, but it was time. It was time. You know, the thing is, with uh, Almost Home and with, with the things that have happened to Shelley and the things that have happened to Elle, you would be amazed at the number of people, women especially, who have come up and just grabbed my hand mm -hmm. and said thank you because the same thing happened to me. Um, a lot of people also want to victim blame and why didn't you come forward? That's nobody's business. If you decide, that's your personal business and your situation. If you decide to come forward, okay. You know, yeah, I'm glad you got that. the strength. But if a woman who has been through that decides she doesn't want to, you don't, you don't call her out on that. She's making the best decision for her and her family. You just shut your trap. It's none of your damn business. So I hate it when they do victim blaming, victim shaming, whatever. You have tragic things happen to you in your life. You make a decision whether you want to make it public or not. Nobody else does. And nobody has well, the right to tell you. Everybody that processes you things different anyway, whether it's a tragic accident or a horrific rape or just it, you, different personalities process things differently. Right. And there's a reason for that. Right. And that's nobody's business. Exactly. You know, when I had to tell my son, it was hard. But once I found my voice, I'm not going to shut up. And that's a. Speaking of finding your voice, mm -hmm. Cheryl Wheeler song. As soon as I find my voice, I found mine. Thank you, Cheryl Wheeler. Please come to Missouri so I can see you in concert. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap this one up. Okay. The next time we get together, which I hope is soon, we'll talk about Whispers. That's okay. The second book. It's my favorite book. Whispers and on the on the border were probably my favorites. Before I read those two, Almost Home would have been my favorite, but yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know how to explain it. I love it when, when you can't you, decide. When you read the book and you feel like you're a part of the book, it's just like, I... Yeah. Come on, Cass, let me tell you a story. Sit down, let me tell you a story. Well, thank you, Deborah. Thank you. And until next time. Uh-huh. Coming out of the kitchen. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. The point of Almost Home is you've got a lady who has let the words of others define her her whole life. And she has finally come to the point where she has been on a mission. She has been seeking out the real truth of who she is, how she got to be where she is, and about not only herself, but American society. Mm -hmm. She comes to realize that you never know 
You can, you can sit and you can plan and you can put yourself in situations about how you're going to act in a certain situation. If this were to happen to you, this is how I'll react. This is going to happen. But you never know until, until you are actually in that situation because it's not everything is black and white because not everybody plays by the same rules you do. Mm -mm. And you might not have all the information needed to make the right decision, but you make <clears throat> the best decision you can, giving what you know and how others are playing the game. Mm -hmm. And that's what she tries to do, the best that she can. And that's all any of us can do. No, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. That's Shelly. <laughs>